0: and happy new year to you. If you uh thank you. If you have a Bible, i invite you to go to James chapter one as we kick off a new series that we've entitled the New normal. And I just want to say, if you are a guest today, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, whether you're online or you're here in person, um, I, I want you to know that, that our hope is that you would go from just feeling like a guest to feeling like family. Um, this is an imperfect family. Uh, this is a broken family. This is a messy family, but it's a family that is standing in need of Jesus. And if you want to learn more about what that looks like within our context, we would encourage you to go to our website, crossingparagirl.com, or if you want to talk with somebody like me or someone else in the church uh, on our staff, click on the uh, Connect link that's being dropped in the comments section right now, or grab the Connect cards in the back of the seat in front of you. Fill that out, leave it in your chair, and we will definitely uh, connect with you. James 1 is where we're going to be today as we kick off this new series. Um, I'm reading from the NIV translation, uh, and as always, the notes for the Sermon of the Day are on the U Version Bible app, if that interests you. So, James chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 1, read through verse 4. I really, really believe um, in the sovereignty of God. I believe in God's providence, and I believe that He has given us this word uh, for a very, time, at a very timely moment in our church. Um, so uh, I pray that this will, will bless you and encourage you like it has me this week. James chapter 1, it in verse 1. <clears throat> James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to pray for us one more time before we dive into this. And as I do that, I want to encourage you, as I did the early service, when I pray um, for you, pray for me. And I would pray specifically uh, this, if I were you. You're sitting here. And you come in heavy, some of you. You come in experiencing your own hardship and your own trials. In just a moment, you're going to leave here, and you're going to enter back into reality, into a cold world, into a world where there's uncertainty and there's hardship. And so what you need right now is is to hear from God, not me. And so if I were you, I would be praying, as I pray for you, that God would speak through me and that he would open your ears to hear what it is that he has to say. So that said, let's pray together. Father, I know um, that there are people in the room and watching online right now who are going through trials, who are going through hardship, who have experienced loss. And what we need um, desperately is for you to speak to us. Um, Even if there are people right now that are on cloud nine and it seems like everything is going great and they can't point to one bad thing in their life, there will be storms that come and there will be trials that will abound, you tell us in your word, and so we need you, God, to implant in us this unshakable joy that James talks about, that nothing can take away from us, that we know is found in you, Jesus. And it's in your name that I do pray and ask these things. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing Blake and Haley Deck for the Paragold podcast. And if you're unfamiliar with the Deck story, three years ago, they were in a car And Haley was 32 weeks pregnant with her son, Sage. They had their two-year-old daughter, Finley, in the back. Went out of nowhere. They were hit by a car, and it killed both of their children. And as Haley was telling me this story on the podcast, she said, you know, initially, they had to airlift Finley to Memphis. And while they were on the way to Memphis, she was with her uh, mom and dad, and she was with her husband, and a nurse called. And her dad answered, and the nurse said, no, we need to speak to the mom. And so she got on the call and basically said, hey, this does not look good. Like We just want to prepare you for the fact that she's probably not going to pull through this. And Haley said that whenever she got off the call, she looked at her parents and her husband and said, if my daughter dies, I will die. If she does not pull through this, there is no way that I'm going to pull through this. And yet, three years later, She's sitting here in our building for the podcast. And she said, when my kids or when our kids died, we faced every parent's greatest nightmare. But as crazy as it sounds, the thing that I thought was going to kill us actually led us into more joy and more peace and into a deeper life than we ever thought we could imagine. She said, Yes, we've been hit with wave after wave after wave of grief, but eventually what we realized is that not only are we going to pull through this, but we're going to come out better as a result. Here's the reason I share that. <clears throat> as we move out of 2020 and into 2021, it's beginning to dawn on us we're probably going to make it. When the pandemic first hit, we all, I think, had some level of fear of like, what's this mean for us? Like, am I going to die? Is someone I love going to die? And now as vaccines roll out and we move into the next year, right, we're, we're beginning to get a sense, we're getting to recognize the chances are pretty strong. We're going to come through this. And as pastors, our hope is that like the decks that you will come out of this healthier and stronger and more resilient than ever before. The question is, how do we do this? How do we go from surviving a pandemic? to actually thriving as a result of a pandemic? Or how do we face hardships? And we all face hardships. How do we face hardships? How do we face trials and actually come through it better and more like Jesus than before it happened? That's the question I want to try to answer today. And and to do that, I want us to look in James chapter 1. And the book of James is written by James. Very good class. Yep. Yep. James, the brother of Jesus, and he is writing to a people who have experienced intense persecution, which as a result has scattered the church all over the known world. Many of them have died and many others have landed in prison. This was a tough season in the church, tougher than anything that we have faced. But though it was a season of death, it was also a season of life. Because according to Acts chapter 8, as the church was being scattered, they were preaching the gospel wherever they went. Which means, don't miss this, God used persecution to take them into places their pleasure would not. I want to say that again because that's better than what you think it is. God will use persecution to take you to places that your pleasure will not. He'll use hardship. He'll use trials. He'll use suffering to accomplish his grand and good and eternal purposes in you and through you. That's what we see happening right here. But here's the thing. James knows we don't always believe that. It is really hard to see that truth when it's as dark as dark can be. And that's what this church is experiencing. And So what does James do It's a pre-digital world. It's before online church. So he uses the best form of communication he knows. And he writes to this this group of people who no longer are able to gather as they once did without a fear of dying when they gather. So whoever said the Bible is not relevant uh, just hasn't read the Bible. It's relevant even for us in 2021 in the middle of a global pandemic. And right out of the gate, after greeting these people, notice what he says in verse 2. These people are suffering Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The word that is used here for consider is the Greek word hegeomai, which is a mathematical term that literally means to count. That's what some of your translations might say, count it all joy. And so here's what James is getting at. Please hear this. When you encounter trials, you need to do a mathematical equation. You need to get a profit column and you need to get a loss column. And what you're going to see is whenever you begin to count your jewel, when you begin to count your trials and you see them as God does, you're going to see that in the end, your trials actually come out um, as a net profit and not a net loss. Does that sound crazy to anybody else? I mean, I don't know about you, but I tend to chalk up the last year to a loss and not a profit. We have all experienced so much loss over the last year. Some of you have lost someone that you love. Others have lost money. Some of you have lost your marriage. You've lost a sense of freedom. Some of you, maybe you just lost your favorite restaurant. We've lost the ability to be able to gather as a church without the fear of getting someone else sick. Two days later you got a cough and you're like, I gotta go get something shoved up my nose to figure out what's going on, right? My wife and I, we planted the church, we had a missional community in our home every Sunday night for eight years. We've not had a missional community in our home for the past, well, since March. That's a loss. We've all experienced so much loss, but according to James, and we see our trials as God does in the end, they are not going to come out in the lost column, but they're going to come out as a prophet. And therefore, the logical conclusion when you get this, James says, is joy. And if you notice in verse 2, it's not just joy, it's pure joy. So this isn't one part joy, three part sorrow. This is undiluted unshakable joy. This is joy on steroids. This is a joy that Jesus tells us about in John 15 is complete and full and cannot be taken away from us no matter what comes our way. Charlie dates, who's a pastor from Chicago that I like says this in his commentary on James one, God has a corresponding joy with every trial you find yourself in. How good is that? This joy that we have, the world did not give to us and the world cannot take away from us. Circumstances didn't give you this joy, so it can't take away the joy. God has a joy that defies our trials. Amen? Consider it pure joy, James says, when you face trials of many kinds. Notice he does not say if you face trials, but when. In the words of Job, anyone who is born of woman is short of days and full of trouble. Or in the words of Jesus himself, in this world you will have trouble. I'm going to say something that might seem a little harsh, but you need to hear it. Trouble is the rule. Ease is the exception to the rule. You know that when you get older, don't you? The older you get the more just death and loss and trials and hardship abound. And especially if you're young, you need to hear that. Because when you're young, you're invincible and everything is good and mom and dad's got everything. But the older you get, I'm not trying to be cynical, I'm just trying to be real. You're going to realize how hard life really is. I have seasons in my life where I'm just like, God, can I have one week without a loss? Can I have one week without a hardship? Can I have one week without some sort of bad news? And you know what I have found out? I'm only 37. But if I get that week, that's the exception to the rule. Because we live in a fallen and sinful world, we will face trials. Or as one translation puts it, maybe your translation, we will fall into many trials. And isn't that what a trial feels like? You're just walking along, man. Life is good. You might even have a little bit of a swagger to you. I'm in the park. You know, with my dog and my kids, and everybody's healthy, and we're great, and the sun is shining, then bam! Out of nowhere, you fall into a trial. That is really bad news. That this world is full of many trials, but here's the good news. When you face trials, when you fall into trials, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, whether it be your car breaking down or a pain that won't leave or, or a bad diagnosis or a betrayal or anything in between, the good news is according to James, when the trial comes, you can have pure, unshakable joy. Which begs the question, How? This is the Bible. I read this. I don't know about you guys. I wrestle with the Bible. I read this and I'm like, time out. You mean to tell me I can have joy when I lose someone that I love? Anybody else go, how? You mean to tell me that I can have joy if my spouse leaves me? You mean to tell me I can have joy if my friend betrays me you mean to tell me i can have joy if i lose my job or my my kids don't turn out the way i I, how how is this possible how can i have joy in the midst of many trials verse three because you know that the testing of your faith produces what's the word perseverance Word that is used for perseverance is the Greek word "hoopomena," which literally means to stay or to remain under immense pressure. It's a word that's meant to convey an emotional, hope-filled resilience that allows you to stand firm no matter what storm blows into your life. And according to James, he says, this is the reason that you can have joy in trials. Because here's the deal. When trials come, when you experience hardship, whenever you suffer and you have suffering, of, uh, when you have just, just pain and trials that come into your life of all kinds, he says it produces perseverance. And therefore, look what happens next. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation, don't try to get out of your trial prematurely. That's a really good word for us in 2021 to hear, prematurely. If you try to get out of your trial or hardship prematurely, what's going to happen? You're not going to become the person God created you to be. But if you will persevere, here's why we can have joy. If you will persevere in the midst of your hardship, look what happens. You will become mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm going to here's what I think would be the most tragic thing that could happen to us as a church. I think one of the most tragic things that could happen to us as a church is we come out of this pandemic the same way that we went into it. That somehow, in a a once-in-a-lifetime disruption-slash-opportunity, where I believe God was trying to do something very big, as big as the global pandemic, but bigger in a beautiful way, I believe God was going to do something that big in and through every single one of you. somehow, some way, you just missed it. You just missed it because you were so focused on it. we got to get back to normal, back to the way things were before. And listen, I am all about like getting back to normal. There are things in my life that I wish was normal. I wish that we didn't have to wear a mask while we were singing. That's not normal. I want to be able to have people in our house again. I want to actually be able to hug you without feeling like I'm going to hurt you. Which, by the way, I told this in the first group, people were like, I didn't know you like hugs, you're a germaphobe. I'm like, I don't like you to breathe in my face when you have the flu. <laughs> like, that's what it means to be a germaphobe. You understand that? Like, I don't want you to put your hands in my mouth. Like, that's what it means to be a germaphobe. I'm okay, I'm a human being, I like hugs. Some people like, I was like a robot, you know. <laughs> and so... Um, I'm ready to be able to hug you that feel like I'm going to hurt you. Like There are things that I am ready to get back to that feel like normal. I've heard so many people say, man, I just cannot wait to get back to what? Normal. We long for that. But here's the thing, guys. If we're going to come out of our trials and our hardships better than we went into it, if we are going to be more resilient, if we are going to look more like Jesus, James says, don't get out of this too quickly. Don't rush out of this. Stay where you are, because you know what suffering's going to do something for you that nothing else could do. Bible study couldn't do it, sermon couldn't do it, music couldn't do it. I'm going to do something in you nothing else could have done for you if you 'll stay where you are. stand. On the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, and this is what's going to happen. Wave will hit you after wave after wave, but rather than getting knocked down, you're going to be built up into something stronger than you could ever imagine. And, guys, this is just what we've been trying to tell you as pastors for the last three and a half years. Um, you've seen this paradigm, it's a spiritual formation paradigm, and we focus a lot on that top path. This is basically the whole idea of the spiritual formation paradigm. It's just, it's just how you change. If you want to change, you want to become more like Jesus, this is how it happens. It happens through teaching. Do you realize that you believe stories about why you exist? You all have a reason. You all, you all believe this is how relationships work best. This is how I should handle my money. This is how I should handle my conflict. Right? We want to make sure that we are informed not by the stories the world tells us, but by the story of God. It's why you do what you do right here. It's why I teach. It's so you can walk away from this and day actually understand suffering from a redemptive standpoint. That's why I'm doing this, right? So now whenever suffering comes, you can be like, oh, okay, like I get it up here. But here's the thing, information alone does not transform you. You have to actually take that information and begin to apply it. And so we use this, we've said this before, you cannot experience the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. So you have to look at his habits, you have to look at his rhythms and say, what are the things I see Jesus doing? Oh, Jesus seemed to pray a lot, that means I should probably pray a lot. And I'm going to actually begin to implement that in my life. And most of us, we don't know how to do that well, that's why we have to practice it. Third, we say in here, you cannot be a mature Lone Ranger Christian. There's nobody that's just like such a big stud Spiritually speaking, it's like, I don't need anybody, man. Like, just mean the Lord. Like, no, God gave you the church for a reason. You have to deeply connect with other brothers and sisters in Christ if you're going to grow up into who God made you to be. Now, that's all the stuff we're responsible for. But you notice inside that triangle, we'll talk about this next week, you also have to learn how to abide in the vine, to abide in Jesus through his Holy Spirit. So if you want to change, God has a work to do, and you have a work to do. You partner with God in that. But then here, look at this. Look below the line where it says low control. We haven't talked a lot about this. But here's what you need to know. If you will listen to good teaching, you'll practice the way of Jesus in community through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will change. But look at that very last, uh, below the line. You will change over time, because change doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And look at this. Through the words of the great theologian, Jay-Z, it also takes the hard knocks of life. You, please hear me guys, you will never become the man or woman you long to be apart from suffering. I'm going to say that again. You will never become the man or woman you long to be apart from suffering. You have to experience it. And by the way, you don't get to choose what it is. And therefore, the call this morning is to let God finish the work that He's started in you. Trust Him. Rather than setting your eyes on the day when, let's just get back to the way it was, remain in the trial and you'll become complete and mature, not lacking anything. Some of you have been in my house and you've probably eaten around this table that we have in our dining room. I think we have a picture of it. I got this as a, just a raw piece of 150-year-old red oak from Jordan Lane, who's a member in our church, and decided to turn it into a table. And so in order to get it from just this raw piece of wood to a table, I had to start with this 80-grit sandpaper and just knock all the rough edges off of it. Had this like, you know, whatever, sander and I mean, two nights in a row, go up to my, my father-in-law's shop and just sand it down. Then after 80 grit, I had to go to 120 grit. Then after 120 grit, with the 200 grit, and eventually, I was able to get this little soft, almost like old t-shirt. Put my stain on it, and I ended up with this, with this shine, still shining. This is you know years ago, and this is I just took this picture a couple of days ago. And as I thought about this table, I thought, man, that's what God is wanting to do in you and me in this season. That's a picture. He wants to work in you like that. Not just to make you a better version of yourself, but according to Paul in Romans 8, to make you more like Jesus. And listen, moment of transparency. If that's going to happen, especially to guys like me, if God is going to take a selfish person like Jared Pickney and make me more like Jesus, I'm telling you right now, that will not happen through some sort of powder puff rod. He's going to have to use 80 grit on my life. I wish that wasn't the case. But there is junk in my life that will only be knocked off through suffering and hardship. And my guess is today, the same is probably true for you, if you'll be honest. There are things in your life that still need forming, things that need shaping, and therefore, though you never would ask for it, you never would choose the trial you are going through, if you find yourself in a hardship, know that God is wanting to use that to bring you through it better and brighter and more like Jesus than ever before. Not saying he caused it, but he absolutely wants to use it. So the question is this God, what are you trying to do in my life in the hardship that I'm currently facing? What are you trying to do, Lord? What are you trying to do in me and through me in this hardship? I spend time every year at the end of the year to think about what has God been trying to teach me? What has He been doing to me over the past year? And I wrote down five things in light of just 2020. And I'm going to share these with you just because I want to try to spark your imagination. And I want you to ask yourself, has God been doing something similar in me? If not, what has God been doing? Some of you maybe even haven't been asking that question. And so here's just five things that I believe God has been trying to do in me over the past year. One is I believe God has been trying to develop in me an emotional resilience that I need as a leader. In other words, to be able to take a shot and get back up again. Two... God has been trying to strip me of my need for control. I love to plan my day. I love to plan my week. I love to plan my year. I love to plan my life. I'm pretty good at it. Usually, I'm the kind of guy that I can, I can say, hey, I'm going to plan a church. I'm going to try to pull this together and do this and that, and it works. Just the way God wired me. But when the pandemic hit and information began to change, not just weekly or even daily, but by the hour, I was reminded just how out of control Jared Pickney is. I ain't going to strategize my way out of this. There's nothing I can do to control it. And so God in that moment has just said, okay, here's your chance to actually practice what you preach and ask yourself, do you really trust I'm in control even when you're not? So he's been trying to teach me to trust him, to choose praying over planning. Third thing I would say is he's been trying to purify my motivations for why I do what I do. I don't know if you guys realize this or not. It's very hard. It's easy to fall into the trap in the religious South to believe that as long as we do the right things, that's all God cares about. That's not the main thing he cares about. God wants you to do the right things with the right motive. What's so dangerous about a pastor and the reason so many pastors blow up their marriages or they fall or they have an affair with their secretary or whatever else it may be is because they do all this good stuff and are fooled into thinking, I'm pretty impressive. When the truth is, you might not even be doing anything with a Christ-like motive. And what I've realized is whenever, you know, I was no longer preaching to a group of people who could say amen or having Randy Rogers in the first service going, yes, you know, every other word, (laughs) is dang, man, like I really, really like for people to affirm me. And that's not all bad, but I can thrive off of it. And my joy can rise and fall off of how well the message, man, how many people were in the room and you know, before COVID-19, we had like our largest crowds ever. It's like, oh, yeah, like I'm getting somewhere. Like, man, we're winning. As if like that's even how God measures success. But what God has been doing in this season is purifying my motives and realizing, you know what? There's some things that I do, and I'm probably doing it so, you can, so it can build my ego. There's some things that I do, and I probably am doing it for a paycheck. There's some things that I, I do, and, and man, I'm just doing it because it makes me look good. or makes me feel good. And God has been purifying my motivation. A fourth thing I would say is. I think he's been setting me free solely but surely. From needing your approval. Whenever the pandemic hit. It became very obvious to me. There was no route we could take as pastors. That was not going to upset somebody in the church. Um, this isn't true of you guys. Just other churches. But. This is one of the only jobs where you have 300 other experts that can tell you how to run the job, even though they're not like, in your position. You know? And this really is not true of our church. I mean, there are some people like that in our church, and you know who you are. But, <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> there is a sense to where I knew when we came out of this that we were going to make decisions, and, and it was going to make somebody upset in some way. We shouldn't wear a mask. Everybody should wear a mask. What? We shouldn't shut down. God, we, you better shut down. You'll kill everybody. Right? It's like, there was no way we were going to win with everybody. Um, man, I had someone on New Year's Day, texted you and me, New Year's Day, with my family. Hadn't talked to this guy in three months. Hadn't been in our church and just won the text to tell me that we just didn't lead well in the pandemic. You know? I mean, it's just like, oh. Well, happy new year to you too. I mean, it's like, nobody wants to receive a text like that on their day off. That's the joy of like my office going with me everywhere I go, by the way, you know. But it's it's just through things like that, though I never would choose it, and I wouldn't want it that God has been solely but surely freeing me from the tyranny of living for the approval of others and trusting that he says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Fifth thing I would say is this, and the last thing I'll say is, <clears throat> What God has been teaching me in 2020 is that my ministry starts in the home. Um, if and, and and if I'm, if we're going to be a culture of grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion here, that has to be true in my own home. Um, if we're going to be a praying people here, I said, you know, I told my wife on New Year's Eve. I texted you too. I was like, we totally missed the boat. We should have had a 24-hour prayer meeting. Like after a year, we had like I like texted Adam on Wednesday. He's like, I don't think we can pull that off and. In, in 12 hours or whatever. I'm like, okay. And so, but my wife was like, you know, like you might not be able to do that, but we could do that in our home. We could stay up till midnight and pray. And I'm like, well, babe, I don't know about that. I mean, it's, you know, maybe maybe 11 o'clock New York time. We can do that. And it's like, but that's just something God's has been reminding me of is like, man, like Jared, like you, I believe God's calling me to a place where he's like, I want you to put more thought and energy into making sure you have a good environment in your home than in your church. And, and this is just stuff that God has been teaching me. What about you? What has God been doing in you over the last year? What does God want to do in your spiritual formation? What is the new normal that he wants to mark your life in 2021? Whether it be in your marriage or your parenting or your sexuality or how you handle your finances or your calling, I want to encourage you guys, please do this. Just spend 10, 15 minutes a week. Get along with God and ask him, what are you trying to do Threw me into this storm. And by the way, let me just say this whatever God's doing for you in this storm, He's doing it because He wants to prepare you for another storm that's coming. I love the story of David and Goliath. We all do. It's my kids' favorite story in the Jesus Bibles. Like, that's the main one they want to read every time. And it's awesome, right? I mean, you have Israel who scared the death to fight this giant, which, by the way, King Saul should have fought him. Me and my wife remember this this morning. King Saul was, like, head and shoulders taller physically than anybody else, and he was the king. So he was the closest thing to the giant they had. He should have stood up, but he's like, ah. So what happens? In walks David, a little boy, which, by the way, if you're a teenager here, seriously, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. Like, you can do incredible things for God right now, so don't believe you can't. David walks up. He's this young boy. He's got really nothing going for him, and he says, you know what? I'm tired of this giant defying our God, so I'm about to take him down for the glory of God. And he does. And it's awesome. But here's the thing. We need to realize this. David didn't just show up like that. David had been hanging out with sheep. David had been wrestling with bears and lions, literally. And in the process of those trials and those hardships, what was God doing in David? He was building his faith. He was was preparing David for a day when he would stand before something far scarier than a lion and a bear. And listen, it's important that you get this. That's most likely what God could be even doing in this season for you. Another storm is coming, guys. Let's not get cocky and, hey, we made it. If we can make it through this, we'll make it through anything, right? It's like... Another storm is coming. It's coming. Something else is going to come against you. You will be attacked. You'll experience loss. And it's possible, listen, it is possible when that day comes that like David, when you stand against that Goliath, you can say, you know what? I didn't see this coming. I didn't ask for this to happen, but I have seen the bear and I've seen the lion. And I know that because my God is faithful, because he is with me, because he has been using all the other storms and hardships in my life, he has prepared me for this moment i'm going to come out of this better than i went into it i'll say amen on that amen jared good job with that said the question i want you to ask is this the question is not god when will you get me out of this storm but what do you want this storm to get out of me here's a few other ways To maybe ask the same question. You might want to write these down. Or maybe just try to remember at least one of them to help you discern what God is doing. First question. God, how do you want this pressure that I'm feeling to form me more into the image of Jesus? Some of you feel the pressure coming down on you. You know, I didn't know this until this past week. You know how diamonds are formed? Diamonds are formed hundreds of miles under the ground. Listen to this. Especially you homeschool kids in here. Um, I don't know why I said that. As if you don't have, you have a lesser education. My kids are homeschooled, so. Um, <laughs> anyways, my brain. Welcome to my world. I've just got always a bunch of different thoughts going at one time. Um, so, diamonds are formed hundreds of miles under the ground, and they're formed. Listen to this: through intense pressure and heat, they're then jettisoned to the surface through volcanic activity and disruption. Guys, that's a picture of what God wants to do in your life according to James chapter 1. He wants to use intense heat and pressure and disruption to bring you out shining like Jesus. That's what James 1 says. So get that image in your mind. So God, what pressure am I currently feeling like? What, you, what do you want this pressure to be forming me into? Or how do you want it to be forming me into the image of Jesus? Second question is this, another way of asking basically the same question is where in my life are you wanting to make me stronger? In other words, what is one muscle that I need to work out more often? In the gym right now, Kyle Lane can probably tell you this, owns Anytime Fitness, it'll be packed full of people who are rushing in wanting to work their glamour muscles. The pecs, you know, the buys, the tries, you know? And that's all great, but here's the deal: any personal trainer will tell you this. If you don't work out your legs, like not only will you look at like a cartoon character, because you'll have a big upper body, and like stick legs, but you won't be healthy and you won't be as strong as you need to be. The problem is nobody wants to work out their legs. It's hard. It's not fun. You can't like, No one like looks like, hey, nice calves, right? Like it's, just, it's not easy. But spiritually speaking, look, the same is true for us. We all have areas in our life that are like our legs, that we're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fast. I don't want to do silence and solitude. I don't want to focus on this area, God. It's too hard. And so ask God in this season, what is something that you're trying to reveal to me that I am weak in and I need to focus on so that I can stand up and be strong no matter what comes my way? Last question I would encourage you maybe to ask that's kind of helping you get at what God wants to do in you and through you in this season is this. God, what idol are you trying to expose in my life that I need to get rid of before I go back to normal? In other words... What is something that you are trusting in or counting on for joy that, listen guys, can be taken away from you like that? Do you know what loss and hardship does better than anything else? It reveals to you what you have been putting your hope in other than Jesus. And just how fragile that really is. And so what God is wanting to do in suffering is to pull you away from that idol so that rather than it killing you, you can kill it and you can experience true life in him. Well, God, Because God loves you, it is through this time, guys, listen, I believe more than ever he wants to get your attention and say, stop building your life on the sinking sand and start building on the solid rock, which is him. You know, every major hurricane, you have an image like this one right here that I can throw on the screen for you. And this is from Hurricane Ike, off the coast of Texas. This is a clear wipeout, right? Look at it. And yet, by the grace of God, there is one house that remains. Everything else is gone, but one home remains. And I truly believe, guys, that is exactly what God wants to do in your life. Some of you feel so fragile right now. Some of you feel like, man, the next breeze that even comes is going to knock me over. Or the next wave that crashes on the shore is going to wipe me out. And listen, what God is saying to you today, please don't miss us and we're done. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. And as difficult as it may be, though you might be in a season right now, you would have never, ever, ever chosen. God will not waste that. In fact, he will use it to conform you more into the image of Jesus, to make you more resilient, more of the man, more of the woman that you long to be. He will use this, if you will allow it, to mature you and to complete you so that you are not lacking anything. Some of you may be in the room right now or watching online. You did not think you were going to make it through 2020. Pandemic yet, we're like, man, am I going to die? Like, what in the world is going to happen? But you're here. God, you're here. And it might not have been the prettiest road, but you're here. And you're standing. And now I really believe it's time for us as a church to turn the page and to shift the question from, am I going to make it to God? What are you trying to make out of me? How do you want to use this, God, to finish in me what you started and what you dreamed of from the very beginning? The truth is, guys, no matter who you are or where you come from, listen, guys, and we're done, you can have joy in your trial. You believe that? No matter who you are or what you have gone through or are going through, you can have pure, undiluted, unshakable joy. But here's the catch, and please hear me and we're done. You can only have this kind of joy if you are a child of God. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my what? Brothers and sisters. This is not some sort of spiritual TED talk to the world. Hey, no matter who you are, or who you worship, or what, who you follow, you can have joy. This is just for the follower of Jesus. And so, here's my plea to you, whether you're online or in person, it's to give your life to Jesus today to trust in him. He is the one who has come, guys. I'm telling you, he has suffered as much as you have and more than you could ever imagine. He lost it all at the cross. He lived a perfect sinless life and he is the only one who did not deserve what he got. He's done it perfectly. He did it right. He obeyed God at every turn and yet he suffered more than you ever will dream of suffering. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin and my sin, and then he went to the grave, and he rose from the dead three days later, and he gave you his Holy Spirit so that now you can know that not even death itself can take joy away from you. If you have never trusted in Jesus, I pray that you will today. You can have this joy, guys. I'm telling you, this is not just preacher talk. You can have this joy. You can have this life. You can have this peace. And hear me, it's not going to happen through your good works. I was telling the first services, you guys, we have got to stop comparing ourselves to other people who call themselves Christians, who are comparing themselves to other people who call themselves Christians, who probably aren't even Christians. And we need to start comparing ourselves to the holiness of God, and we'll see just how far short we fall. We are not going to impress them with our good works, I promise you. The good news is today, though, you don't have to. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And listen, you're not saved by just praying a prayer. You've got to hear this, guys. You're not saved by just a prayer you prayed at Vacation Bible School or in youth group. Even if you cried or even if another pastor wrote and gave you a Bible and said, this is the day that you truly were saved and everything is good from here on out no matter what happens. That is nowhere in the Bible. You are saved whenever you give your life to Jesus and you ask him to be not just your Savior but also your Lord. Jesus is not going to come into your life and save you if you're not willing to give your life to him. And so if you've never made a decision to do that today, do it now. He doesn't want you to fix yourself. He doesn't want you to even earn anything. He doesn't want you to answer all the questions. Just go to him and say, 2020, if it taught me anything, it's that, man, life can end like that. And that you are where my hope is and you're all that I have, and so I surrender my life to you today. And if you've made a decision to already do that, We're going to take communion as we always do. And please, before you start shuffling around, this is a time where we can feel like, oh, now we're done with the sermon and let's get out of here and go eat. Guys, remember, we didn't as pastors give you this. Jesus has given you this. Like this is a command from Jesus to take communion every time we come together. And the reason we do this is the the bread is a tangible reminder of Jesus' perfect life on our behalf. And, And the juice is a tangible reminder of his blood that he shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And today, as you take that, here's what I want you to remember and we're done. As you take communion today, remember this. The reason you can endure hardship for Jesus is because he first endured hardship for you. Do you realize in Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The word that's used there for endure is the same one that James uses, by the way. He stayed on the cross. What joy is it talking about? What joy kept Jesus on the cross? You're that joy. You were who he was thinking of. You're the one that he had to leave heaven and come to earth to get. And so what I want you to think about as you take that juice and you take that bread and you put it inside of you, be reminded in a tangible way of the love of God for you, that you were his joy in the midst of the hardship that kept him on the cross. And if you will believe that, guys, I'm telling you, if that will move from just right here of, oh, good sermon, to down into your heart, it will help you with joy stay even in the midst of your suffering and know that you're going to come out just like Jesus did better than ever. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I want to pray for us. Don't stand yet. Let's just um, take a moment to reflect on this teaching. Take a moment to reflect on the gospel that we just spoke about. I want to pray over you. and Then as you're ready, take communion And do it with your heart. Don't just do it with your hands. Don't just do it with your mouth. Do it with your heart. Put yourself in this place and remember what Christ has done for you. And then after you take communion, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one final song. And I want to encourage you to make this song your prayer. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is here today. We don't want to take this moment for granted. We know, God, that we are not promised another minute. As Adam was speaking of, earlier, and as James goes on to tell us in his book, life really is a vapor. It is a mist. It is here today and gone tomorrow. God, forgive us for looking to money, looking to jobs, looking to our parents, looking to teachers, looking to coaches, looking to, to sex, looking to drugs, looking to entertainment, looking to our likes on Instagram and Snapchat, all these things, God, we look to And we long for significance. We long for meaning. We long for security. We long for joy. We long for satisfaction. And God, we're just reminded all over in a season like this, it can be taken away at any moment. And God, I believe it's in this that you are just trying to set our eyes back on you. That we'll stop walking with some swagger. Arrogant. Cocky. Believing that we have something within us that can just... Get us through life without you. God, you're so good. You're so loving. You're so kind. You're so gracious. You're so merciful. You're so compassionate. And I pray that right now you'll make yourself fully known to each person here that they will feel your presence invade their lives and that they will let you take control of their existence and that as a result, God, you will conform us into a people and a church that shines the light of your love into our community and beyond so that people who are walking in darkness can find truly in you the hope that they have been longing for. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.